0: The giraffes are insincere, and the elephants are kindly, but
1: they're dumb. Hello there! You are listening to the Quarter to Three Games podcast for late May. It's like May 22nd-ish, 23rd, thereabouts. My name is Tom Chick, and my game of the week is not Populous.
0: My name is Nick Diamond, and my game of the week is not Lords of Magic. Uh, my name is Clay Heaton, and my game
2: of the week is not Ridiculous Fishing.
1: Oh, come on. I've heard good things about Ridiculous Fishing. <laughs> <laughs> Have you actually tried the Ridiculous an iPad game, right? Uh, I played it on the iPhone, yes. And you, like, shoot fish with a, with a, an MP5
2: and stuff like that, yeah? Pretty much, yeah. That's pretty much how it goes. Have you ever... First- well, good. yeah. How'd you do? Uh, well, you know, I, I did play it quite a bit for a while, and, and now it really... Actually, I think I might have even just deleted it. <laughs> I just don't ever want to play it again.
1: You're over it. It's just one of those things where you're playing, and you're playing, and you love it, and then one day you're all like, and I apologize to any young listeners, but I'm quoting a movie, you're playing it, and you're playing it, and then one day you're all like, fuck fish. Exactly. Yes,
2: right. <laughs> at, least digi- at least digital one. Digital one.
1: <laughs> Have you ever fished for real, by the way? So you live in uh, n- North Carolina, you said, right?
2: Correct. Yeah, I'm. A, I'm actually quite avid fisherman. <laughs> I fish quite frequently.
1: No, I'm talking about like actual real. No, I'm not talking about ridiculous fishing anymore.
2: No, I. I'm talking for real. Yeah. No, I. I grew up fishing with my dad and lots of fly fishing for trout out west and and lots of uh, fishing out in the, the
1: uh, North Carolina coastal areas. So, how closely does the fishing in World of Warcraft approximate that experience? <laughs> well. <laughs> It depends on whether you have beer at your desk. <laughs> uh, Nick, have you ever fished?
0: Uh yes, actually, quite a bit. We do uh we do a lot of deep sea fishing.
1: No no no. I don't I'm not talking about some some like uh, fish hunter game that you got at Walmart. I'm talking about real life, Nick.
0: Oh well then no. No. Of course <laughs> have not. Have you really done deep sea fishing? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You can you can charter a boat out here. It's you know, Seattle, so you just charter a boat, go out. You fish. I mean, you don't fish. You, you don't catch great stuff. You mostly you catch cat? a bunch of horrible rock
1: cod and whatnot. Do you ever do that thing like in Jaws where Quint straps himself in the chair and puts his feet on a little swivelly platform? And do you ever do that kind of thing? Uh, only once in Hawaii. That's what I'm picturing and then you hook a marlin and it like breaches or whatever and you do that whole thing. Is that how it went?
0: And, and no, it was, it was mostly me with just feet and stirrups, uh, feeling stupid for a couple hours. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but the last time I fished, uh, when I was a little kid, my, my grandfather in Arkansas, he had a lake house and we would go visit him and we'd go to the lake house and he was an avid fisherman and I was just a little sissy. I wanted nothing to do with it. But one day he was like, come on, you know, son, we're taking you fishing. So I got dragged to go fishing by my grandfather and, uh, I remember catching a fish and lifting the pole up out of the water. And now, I don't know how much physics you guys know, but when you lift a pole up and there's something dangling by a string on the end of the pole, the thing dangling by the string on the end of the pole will come close to your face. That's just <laughs> physics, the way that works. So for me, fishing as a child was having a fish swing in towards my face and basically being scared and crying and my grandfather having to explain to my mom that what happened. And so that was my, that was my, uh, that was the end of my fishing career until things like World of Warcraft and Dark Cloud 2 and Nier, until games like that came along. Uh so well, that's the only fishing I've done.
2: Well let me tell you, right now, currently mm-hmm. as we speak, ongoing is the seven day fishing game jam where a bunch of indie developers are making games about fishing.
1: See I love that. Real like uh like I yeah, how do you
2: know about that, Clay? Uh I saw it on Twitter the other day. I, I uh um, yeah, I could send you the link or something, but um, it, it, I'm looking at their forum right now for the fishing game jam. It even has a nice little picture of a girl pulling a fish out of the water and it's swinging towards her face.
1: Well, I, see, <laughs> see how terrifying, see how terrifying that is. <laughs> uh, and, and I actually feel that fishing is a a pretty awesome gameplay mechanic for a couple of reasons. One of which is it it's like it's like a secret surprise you're going to get a secret reward you don't know what it's going to be um, in terms of gameplay mechanics you can influence it actually i'm sure this is the way it is with real fishing by what kind of bait you're using or i don't know what kind of fly you tie or, or whatever uh but it's this it's this mystery like hey i'm going to i'm going to sit here and i'm going to pull a surprise out of some some mysterious depths uh that must be the draw of real fishing as well right yeah, pretty much and the beer
2: of course. Well, yeah, camaraderie, <laughs> beer. There's less beer these days. You know, my parents, uh, they live on, on the coastal North Carolina. I would say, at least three, if not four times a week, they catch their own dinner and they grow all their own vegetables and stuff. So they're usually eating, eating, eating uh, fish they caught, fresh fish.
1: So, Clay, I need you to uh, email me their address so I know where to go during the apocalypse.
2: <laughs> well, their next-door neighbor has, like, five of those giant uh, chest freezers out in his uh, garage with a bunch of other junk, and it's all filled with fish that he's caught over the last five years and fro- deep frozen. Yeah, they're definitely However, ready for When a- the electricity yeah. goes out, He's in, he's in for some bad luck.
1: They'll need folks like us to converge there and eat all the stuff, and then uh, we'll be fed by the vegetable patch and the fish and stuff. So, all right, I'm set then. Good to know. Uh, now, Clay, so we, we brought you on today, of course, not just because of your fishing prowess, um, and, and not just because you uh, are one of the guys on Impressions who brought us their last Zeus game, correct? <laughs> yeah, I was. You are a Harvard man, correct? I am. You are a former CIA agent, correct? Uh,
2: intelligence officer. Is that yes. really what they called you? That's correct. Uh, agents are people that are recruited by intelligence officers.
1: So you rec- Oh, you're no mere agent. You're the guy who would recruit agents?
2: Well, no. Everybody who works for the CIA is an intelligence officer. You're not an agent unless you're like the guy providing the information who does not actually work
1: directly for the CIA. That's a That's commonly probably- misunderstood term. I'm, I'm sure the CIA employs people who are just like janitors and whatnot.
2: But I, I, of course they do, but they're still intelligence
1: officers. <laughs> Wait a minute, was, hold uh, on. that's not true. Is that really true? If you're, if you're on the payroll for the CIA, you're technically an intelligence officer?
2: I, I can't, I can't speak for the janitors and everything because a lot of those people are actually not directly hired, you know, they're contractors and stuff. If you're directly hired, I believe you are. I, I could be wrong about that.
1: I really, I really feel awfully inadequate here because I know now on the podcast with a former intelligence officer and a former military man.
2: But I was, uh, I was uh, in the, I was not like an out in the field do stuff guy. I was on the analytic side in an overt position, which is why I can talk about it a little bit, or at least tell you that I did it. But I can't talk about it a lot.
1: Normally, Clay, you don't just don't even sit just sort of let it sit, let people's <laughs> imaginations run wild. Uh, okay.
2: I but, mean, or- I did some interesting stuff. Don't get me wrong. I just can't tell you about it. Well, or else you would have to kill me, right? Or no, I would go to jail.
1: <laughs> okay, that sounds less <laughs> dire. <laughs> uh, but more to the point, you are here because a uh, couple of things. You, you are working on an upcoming game, but you've also just made a game, uh, which I have looked at. Nick, did you get a chance to look at um, Toddler Taxonomist by any chance? I did. Nick, how well did you do on that game?
0: Uh, uh, let's go with toddler level.
1: <laughs> well, I don't know if you knew this, Nick. Uh, it took me a, a little bit. There's a, when you boot up the game, uh, there's a button to start, and then there's a button that says easy peasy, uh, which I didn't know if that was like the company name or just some little commentary or like a tagline. If you press that, you can change difficulty levels. Did you figure that out, Nick? Yes. Oh, well, you're way ahead of me. It took me a little while to figure that one out. <laughs> so um, that-
2: The the thing, you know, in in thinking about the UI for that game, you know, I thought many times, like, I should label this, I should label that, and I'm like, you know what, toddlers boot up iPad apps, and they just push anything that remotely resembles a button. And so my my daughter knows that green means go, so that's why the start button is green. Ah, (laughs) It has, like, an arrow pointing on it. (laughs) I mean, that was pretty much it. I didn't really, you know... I don't even remember what color the difficulty button is. but uh, <laughs> well, I think it's
1: color-coded by difficulty.
2: Okay, I, well, there I you believe.
1: go. Yeah. Uh, well, well, Clay, tell us about what possessed you to make this, and then I want to talk specifically about how it works and what it is. Okay,
2: sure. Um, like last, say, September, I was sitting in my office. I work from home, and <clears throat> I, I was building a, a Rails app for a, a client. And um, my daughter, who at that point in time was – Uh, I don't know, around 20 months old or something came running into my office and started banging on my keyboard and (laughs) inserted a bunch of stuff into the code I was trying to write. And, and I thought to myself, what I really need is like a safe keyboard environment that I can, you know, daughter runs in. I, great. She wants to bang on the keyboard. I'd like to enable that. So, um, I made a, a, I wouldn't even call it a game, just a utility, which you can get on the Mac app store called Toddler Typer. Um, and toddler typer, uh, basically when you load it up, um, for all of the letter keys on the keyboard, there is an animal that starts with that letter. And when you press the key, the big picture of the animal comes up and you hear the noise that that animal makes. Mm -hmm. Um, so she bang around on it and you hear, it sounds like a jungle, you know, going out of my (laughs) office. Um, and she still like she still likes to play with it. And then I, I made a second version of that where you can create your own picture sets and upload pictures and give them their own names and sounds and everything you want. And that's that's up uh on the Mac App Store for free. Um, anyway, so that that worked out Under really well. And what name how
1: would, how would someone find that? What's it called? It's called Toddler Typer. Okay. Um,
2: and you know, I uh anyway, it's uh, it's up there and uh um she plays with it. And anybody any kid that's like anywhere from if they, if they're interested in all it, like banging on the keyboard at, you know, any age from one until three, you know, it's something they might enjoy. But, um, so then, you know, she's, she, she learned all of those animals really quickly. Like, so she knew what the, the, you know, the armadillo was and the giraffe and the, she knew the jellyfish and everything that came up. And, and, you know, the jellyfish noise is just like a deep sea noise, but I, you know, and that I would ask her, like, you know, what noise does a giraffe make? You know, and I found some giraffe noise on YouTube and she'll be like ah <laughs> she'll make a draft <laughs> noise and then so um, she knows all those animals so um, and then she's you know I was looking for something just to give her like a slight bit more challenge and you know she enjoyed the animals so i i thought for a while you know i couldn't really think about it's you know it's actually really hard when you try to design something specifically for a toddler, and we can, we can talk about that a little bit more, but I thought for a while and ended up coming up with just the taxonomy idea. We have different names for animals, you know, is that a dog or is it a golden retriever or is it, you know, Canis lupus familiaris, right? And so, mm-hmm. um, basically, uh, toddler taxonomist just grew out of this idea of being able to recognize the animals by the different names that we have for them. Um, and, and also recognizing the toddlers are, you know, they need uh repetition in order to learn something and that they are extraordinarily impatient. Um <laughs> so <laughs> you don't you know a lot of times you look at toddler games and you know there's little you know you just look at right and there's stars that fly across the screen and you know dancing pony or something and and uh you know that's fun for them the first time but then like the second time on they're like tapping to try to make it go away as fast as possible so I was trying to to allow them to just that's why if you get something correct, it doesn't tell you really any inf- information other than what you just tapped on, and then it goes to the next one. But if you get it wrong, it'll allow you to, you know, learn a little bit more. But anyway, um, so yeah, and so I just um, came up with that idea, and then I, um, uh, I don't know, I sat down and started working on it, I don't know, two months ago or something like that, and, and banged it out pretty quickly, and, and uh you know, really getting the images and, and all the sort of data together to drive it was the most time-consuming thing. Submitted it to, to Apple and then retracted my submission to make it a uh, iPad 1 compatible because I'd screw something up and then pushed it back up there and it got approved. Uh,
1: it seems like there was a lot of legwork that went into getting all of the pictures. Um, you – who's – is the voice actor on that a fellow named Clay Heaton? <laughs> that is, yeah.
2: <laughs> and, and my, my daughter, my daughter does the, some voice acting at the very beginning of it when it starts up. Ah, yes, right, no, I've heard that, Yeah, of course. That's, uh, that's her, she says, she says Game Aid and she says toddler Taxonomist at the beginning, mm-hmm.
1: so. Um. Uh, so it starts out with just two pictures and then it gets to four pictures and then I, oh, is it 16, 32? Like, uh, for, for me personally, as a guy, I'm 46 now, uh, I also find it a great test of my eyesight. <laughs> Eventually, the pictures get so tiny uh, <laughs> that it, it becomes almost like a squinting simulator. I'm sure for a kid's eyes, that's no big deal. Uh, you but- know,
2: it's, hmm? it's hard. It's difficult. Like, when there's 40 pictures up there, if it's, it says, like, where's the elephant? Like, you know what an elephant looks like. And if you focus right. on any one of those 40 pictures, you... You can tell exactly what it is, assuming you know what the animal is. But like, it's very difficult to find an elephant picture when there's 39 other pictures you're looking at.
1: Thank you. I'm glad it's not just me. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's not an eyesight. It's not. I don't think it's an eyesight issue. It's a. It's more of like a you know cognitive processing thing. That because uh, my, I, I have the same problem, and um you know my my you know my wife and my mom and everybody who's, who's played it has the same issue. But you know, oddly, my daughter can pick them out pretty quickly. So you know. Maybe she's got laser beam focus. I don't know.
1: <laughs> now, you obviously wanted to, I, I say obviously, it looks to me like you kind of wanted to avoid too much uh, gamification, for, for lack of a better word, in that there's no score, there's no high score list. Um, it seems to me like it just goes on and on forever. It's just sort of the process of yes. being given an animal to identify either this animal. You can get as specific as you want based on the difficulty level, and then the person just picks it out. There's, there's no fail state. You can either you can even get all of the screen wrong and you s- tap the right one and you just move on to the next one. Uh, I presume that was intentional. You didn't want this to be like a scoring system or anything. That's correct.
2: Right? There there actually is a scoring system behind the scenes, um, and I I debated about whether to add another mode that would allow you know adults to play it and see what their score was. And I may still do that, but. Um, it scores it behind the scene and it, it tracks how many you're getting right and how many you're getting wrong at each difficulty level and it actually adjusts the number of pictures that you see on the screen based on whether you're getting answers right or wrong. So if you get to the, the level where there's um forty photos and then you miss, you know, five questions in a row, it's gonna drop you back down to eight photos, and if you miss more, it's gonna drop you down to four and then eventually to two. Or it'll you know, as you get them correct, it works back up. So you know, the ideal with that was to um sort of it sort of a dynamically adjusted difficulty level, basically, right. so so that um, you know maybe a, a toddler playing would find a comfortable difficulty level and, and be able to continue playing there, you know, as long as they wanted to. Now, having having watched my daughter play other iPad games, I can tell you the people um, at Toka Boca. Do you know about Toka Boca?
1: I do not. What is that? Who is
2: that? Uh, Tok- boca is a game development studio, um, Swedish, I believe. And they make a lot of games for toddlers. They, they they really sort of like crack this nut of like how do you make a game for a toddler? Um, and what they realize is that you know toddlers don't toddlers don't most toddlers don't know you know a game from anything else. They don't know the rules of the game. They don't care about like, rules. They don't know how to win or lose. That's not what matters to them. What they need is just the space to play. Um, so. You know what? Probably they're, the game they make this. They have the game they make this. The favorite of my daughters is just called um, Toca Tea Party, and all it is is like a little sort of tea party simulator. And you, you know, drag the teacup over here and fill up, you know, people's tea with the teapot, and you move like cookies and crumpets around and stuff like that. And then uh, when all the crumpets and cookies are consumed, then the uh, toddler gets to wash the dishes, and then it's over, and then you start over again.
1: Right, but um, how, how, how do you win?
2: <laughs> you wash the dishes, I guess. Uh right. There's there's no winning, but like I mean, she loves it. She just wants to play, right? She does she doesn't <laughs> want to win or lose. So I mean I sort I try to take a little bit of that into toddler taxonomist where you know there isn't a win state and there right. isn't a lose state. You just play or don't play, um, you know, as you see fit. Okay,
0: so, so uh can, yes, I, Nick? can I confess something? I so I thought I was winning, and now I find out. You know, you just you just told me that apparently, toddler taxonomist thought I was dumb and was degrading my experience <laughs> to match my intellect. That's right.
2: Did you did you get to the point where it was asking you to identify them by scientific name?
0: Uh, yeah, I I got up to the point where it started asking really hard questions, and then. I thought I was doing well, so I thought, oh, awesome, because it's it's going back down. <laughs> That's right. It's going back down.
1: You beat the, apparently... You've beaten the Latin part of the game. It knows yeah, that you've I thought, mastered I thought, like, it. Hey, achievement unlocked.
0: <laughs> I'm going back to I'm going back to, you know, where's the horse? Hey, wait a minute.
1: Where where are the game center achievements, Clay?
0: You know, I it's actually hooked
2: in there. I didn't turn it on though.
1: And I, I, you know what, and i i definitely applaud i'm being facetious i definitely applaud i mean because it is a kid's game i applaud this idea of not adding scoring and achievements and just just letting it be a process i mean that i, I think that's part of its charm I, I guess um although i have to wonder who on earth at, at one point toddler taxonomist is like a, a a study in how well you can suss out latin or you know are you are you a zoologist um who on earth can play this freaking thing on the hardest level, Clay? What, what have you done? What's up with that? <laughs> well, you know, the interesting thing about it is, it, it, it is sort of the, I mean, that's what
2: sort of makes it interesting to like, as a, as a parent to play with your child. And if you, I, you know, I never studied Latin, but you know, you know, the, you know, if you see tridactyla versus tetradactyla, you know, you're looking for something with three fingers and not four. So, Um, you know, how, how do you, you know, identify animals by that then you can look around at the different sloths or, you know, is it, and, and see if one of them has four fingers or three or two or whatever. And, and, and try to make, um, you know, decisions like that. Like one of the rhinoceroses is a, is, um, I don't remember the full name, but the last, the, the species name is unicornus and the other ones are like dicornus or bicornus, um, so you can you can sort of figure it out um, mm-hmm. as you go, and you learn as you go too. Um, you know, it tells you if you get it wrong what it is, um, with a little bit of extra info and stuff. So, um, but that's that's I think what. I I tried to make something that could be at least like mildly engaging to a parent because honestly if I have to play toke a tea party again, like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, that's not engaging as a parent. Um, So it's, you know, I tried to make it like mildly intellectually stimulating for a parent too. Uh,
1: What if I want some information on one of the correct answers?
2: I'm just Um, out of luck. You're out of luck, yeah. (laughs) Sorry.
1: Because I love you've done this great job of you know breaking down information about the the different pictures and sometimes I sort of think oh I'd I'd like to know I know that's the right answer but I kind of want to look at the little entry that Clay wrote uh about this animal. Uh, you yeah, also
2: that's, that's a oh. shortcoming. But I, I, the reason I didn't do that is because when the when the when my daughter gets something right, she's ready to like move on. Right. Because first <laughs> the elephant, like she's ready for the next question. Like, she, she's not ready to like see some description or something. So I need to put a little like. Um, you know, when it's saying back to you, yes, that's the elephant. Like, I need to hit some little, like, button, info button you can tap that will show you more information or something.
1: But, uh Maybe this is just part of parenting, but when you were doing uh, the voice acting, uh did you ever, like, do a take and think, ah, that's a little bit too dickish or uh, <laughs> mm, that's a little too patronizing?
2: <laughs> uh, well, you've heard, you know, as, as you get questions wrong, I think I recorded, like, I don't know, ten different ways of saying no. <laughs> Right. So, you know, one of them is like, uh-uh. <laughs> so, but, but that, that was just sort of a, the, uh-uh thing a sort of a inside joke if there is such a thing with me and my daughter. So, um, you know, she, she thinks that's funny when I say, uh-uh. But, uh, yeah, I, I had to re-record some of it. Mainly it was because I was putting like emphasis on the wrong, like part of a word or something. Um, so I would, I would record like all the giraffe in a row, and, you know, and when you just see one of them, um, and it's saying, like, where's the South African giraffe, um, and you get it wrong, It says so you want it to say, like, that's the South African giraffe, or, you know, that's the right. South African giraffe. You don't want it to say that's the South African giraffe, Right. you know, right. because it may be showing some other animals. So I have a lot of, like, things where the emphasis is wrong, but
1: whatever. Uh, and you, you solicit, I think, a, I don't know if it's the credits or on the opening screen, but at one point you solicit corrections for your pronunciation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't envy you that, so have you gotten any corrections, and how on earth did you tackle all of that Latin pronunciation? Because there are times, kind of, too, where I'm listening, and I'm like, oh, Clay almost screwed that take up, but he used it anyway. Like, <laughs> It seems like a lot of work.
2: Yeah, there, was, uh, there were some screwed up takes, and there if you if you heard the outtake reel, it's a lot of, damn it, motherfucker. <laughs> like, oh. Like, I don't know how many times I've said that.
0: You should, you should make that an Unlockable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh, that's the, yeah, that's the, that's the, the adult taxonomist game. <laughs> explicit, right, with the explicit yeah. tag. I should make uh, a so drinking
1: it... game out of it. <laughs> so, uh, any corrections? Has anyone said, uh, that's not how you pronounce that?
2: I haven't gotten any yet, uh, mainly because <laughs> I suspect even some of the scientists don't know how to correct- correctly pronounce it. But <laughs> I, you know, I, I found, um, uh, I found some, some websites that, you know, with guides to Latin pronunciation, um, and asked some questions here and there, including on the forum, but I also, um... I I I I'll, I'll tell you my main fallback is I, I I speak uh I speak Norwegian and whenever I didn't know how to pronounce something I just said it how it would be pronounced in Norwegian <laughs> so, suitably exotic yeah exactly <laughs> so it, it doesn't sound English but whatever
0: <laughs> hey don't blame me
2: that's the accent
1: <laughs> now uh, tell me uh, how do we get this uh how and how much is it
2: toddler taxonomist is on the iPad App Store uh, currently free um. Sometimes 99 cents. Uh, if you want it for free, tell me and I will give you a code so you can have it for free. <laughs> uh, or, uh, I made all the code open source. Um, so you can find the code on GitHub and you can compile it yourself or change it yourself. Or do whatever you want. So. Great. Uh,
1: and it's not the old, so you, you finished that. That is now, uh, available. It's not, you're also working on a second project. All I know about it is there's a thread. <laughs> I've seen the thread title on quarter to three. I haven't actually been into the thread. But all I know about it is that you and at least one other person are collaborating on a, a Roguelike, right? Yeah. So um, we, I played a, a fair amount of Brogue on the
2: iPad when that came out a couple months ago and, you know, still playing it. And I, and, uh, I was looking just for a, a hobby project to work on um, and had a few weeks of sort of free time before I, you know, start this uh, school program I'm going to really start and uh, thought, well, hell, why don't I try to make a, a Roguelike? Um and I wanted to make a graphical roguelike, uh, because if it's just a pure code-based ASCII roguelike, then it, I prob- I'm, you know, may end up getting bored from it, because when I'm tired of coding one day, I, I, uh, just won't want to do it. But when it's graphical, if I'm tired of coding one day, then I can draw some art assets instead. Um, so yeah, it's, a. Uh, it's, uh, a. <laughs> I I jokingly, in the thread, called it Dr. Chick, instead of like Dr. Jones, because it's sort of an Indiana
1: Jones-based roguelike. And uh, So does that, that mean it's, it's based- stuck? Is that, <laughs> does that mean it's based on my father? <laughs> actually, my uh, father, and my sister. There are two doctor chicks in my family. My father and my sister uh, are doctors. So
2: yeah, well, it just that it's Doctor Chick. It's it could be either one of them if you want it to to be your father. We could it could be your father <laughs> if you want it to be. You know, I don't know if you've ever because I actually looked this up online. There is a Doctor Chick who's a gynecologist up in New York State or something.
1: Uh, so <laughs> could be him too uh, not my father my father's in texas and he's a lung doctor uh okay. so uh <laughs> all right so the uh the is this this is the main character like that's the little at sign or the equivalent of the at sign is the the main character is dr chick
2: yeah so Which if you awesome. know um if you know uh it, you know like it, and the whole idea came about because i wanted to do something sort of like indiana jones i'm like as I was, you know, brainstorming, I, I started making the, you know, sort of first path of the title screen, and I found the fonts that matched to the Indiana Jones posters, um, and I, uh, at first I had it say, like, Dr. Jones, and then I built this, like, random, um, adventure generator, um, that would come up with, like, different adventure names, and, and, uh, another forum member, um, has come along, and, and, uh, Andrew Jacobs is his name. He's come along and he's added like a thousand different, you know, possible <laughs> parameters to this. And so now that, and I added a, you know, try a random adventure button. So now you can hit it and just get like all the different random adventures. But when the title screen looks like Indiana Jones poster, except it says like, like here, I'll, I'll hit one right now. Good. Um, Dr. Chick and the Den of the Charcoal Spear, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, give us two more. Give us two more. Dr. Chick and the Claimers of the Gnarly Tomahawk. <laughs> Keep going, one more. Nice. Uh, Dr. Chick and the Curse of the Grand Rose.
1: You know. Oh, so that like, one actually sounds legit. You know what? You might have to take that out because that actually sounds cool. That's good. Like that doesn't even seem joke. The Curse of the Grand Rose has got to nice be one. a real adventure. That's Dr. Awesome. Chick and the Sacrifice of Silence. <laughs> Whoa! Wait, wait. <laughs> the poetic. No, these are, these are way too good. You can't have these come from a random generator. That's awesome. That's better than the Crystal Skull. <laughs> no kidding. You've just trumped Lucas and Spielberg, Clay.
0: <laughs> so
2: we we came up with a uh, we came up with a, a number of different like ways you can put together. Um, I looked at the names from the Indiana Jones movie, and there's like y- y- a number of different like ways you can approach it: the Case of the Golden Sword, or the Society of Doom. You know, like the Temple of Doom. Yeah. Um, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, whatever, the missing hammer of invisibility or something, you know, and then um, so basically, you know, each you, we have like an object and then um, which we call an artifact and like we can put like a descriptor in front of it and then like a type after it and then we um, well, and then we have like a bunch of different like type of types of case names like um you know raiders of case whatever in it and uh and we just randomly generate stuff and and uh actually the, a lot of them are pretty cool some of them are, are hilarious um but
1: uh yeah now, now, tell me about the gameplay then so uh i'm thinking like a roguelike a roguelike with a graphical interface the most recent one i can think of that really grabbed me was uh spelunky uh yeah. how would it compare to something like that
2: uh, it's probably closer to something like Brogue, um you know, once we get into it. I mean, there's really, really this just started like a couple weeks ago, um but a fair amount's been done in a couple weeks. I actually drew up all, uh, I drew up the initial terrain tile set, um a couple months ago, cause I was gonna use it as, on like another game aid project, um and, uh, and then I decided to throw them in here as well, um, and so, uh, I was able to get the maps like and loaded and scrolling around and stuff. And there's a lot of iPad, you know, sort of user interface issues you've got to deal with. Like, what are you going to do when you, you know, touch the screen with two fingers versus three or five or one and like double tapping, single tapping, triple tapping, etc. So I've been working on a lot of that stuff now. But um, the maps are loaded. Like, you know, there's there's holes in them that you'll be able to jump through, sort of like you can in Brogue. Um, you know, there's water and, and different grass and stuff. But you know, there's there's a lot of work to go. Um, there's fog of war. The next step is um, to get a random map generator, at least a rudimentary one, up and going, and then um, get like the main character on the screen and moving around. And uh, uh, you know, it's all it's all fun to to just hack away at it when there's time. Um, and and anybody who's w- interested in helping is more than happy to can pitch in. And all the code is open source on GitHub, and you can download it and compile it yourself if you've got a Mac, or you can. Uh, uh, if you're interested in, like, taking a look at what's been done, you can, um, you know, shoot me a message and, and, uh, I'll add you to the test flight thing and then I can just push builds of it to your iPad when you want one. So, so uh, two questions. Um permadeath? <laughs> uh, you know, we're handling, uh, I, I, we're handling it a little bit differently. The, the main character's not gonna die because you've gotta be able to go on your next adventure. Um, <laughs> but, uh, there will be a, an assistant. Um, and your assistant can die, <laughs> and you get one. We well, get one replacement assistant during the course of the game, and if your assistant dies twice, then your game's over. Um, so the whole game, like instead of having like food and, and a nutrition, you have benefactors who are expecting you to dispatch artifacts back to them at the university. So um, as you play. Um, you have to be finding artifacts and dispatching them back, and, like, you'll find this artifact, and you don't really know the properties of it, and you have to decide whether you're going to use it, at which point it will start to degrade its value, and the benefactors will be a little unhappy, or are you just going to dispatch it back to them, at which point you find out what it was and, you know, wish that you actually had used it. Um, oh, I
1: love that. I love that sort of, uh, do I dedicate it to my score, or do I use it for its utility?
2: I like that decision. It, it, exactly. So, uh, and then, uh, you know, I think, there's going to be, you know, this is still design stuff and needs to be sussed out, but there's going to be like an arch nemesis um, character, like you might see in the Indiana Jones movie, who um, will <clears throat> will uh, appear. So I think if you if you die uh in game you know you'll just see a little scene where he's hovering over you so your game will end yeah i mean i guess that's that's permadeath for that game but uh you know you'll be able to continue it won't delete the app from your ipad when
1: you die <laughs> <laughs> that would be hardcore permadeath well you also answered my other questions i was going to ask if you had to eat cuz that that to me separates the sort of the men from the boys as far as uh roguelikes go uh can you starve to death you know do you constantly need food and it sounds like you don't here right
2: well you don't but the 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 mechanic for dispatching um, artifacts back to your benefactors will be something similar but um I I find I find that at least in Brogue like the eating can be a real uh, it's 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 sort of a sorry way to lose the game um and so I, I I don't well, it'll have to be balanced but it'll it's a long time before that's going to be an, an issue for balancing so Uh
1: it's a sorry way to lose a game as opposed to what getting bit to death by a giant rat
2: Oh, <laughs> uh, well that's, uh, I didn't say that wasn't a sorry way to lose the game. It just, you know, you know you're, you know you need to find food and you're going through all these levels and you're looking all around and like doing all of the dangerous stuff and like it just so happens the, you know, random map generator like maybe gave you a crappy seed, I don't know, I mean, or maybe that's- you just looked in the wrong place.
1: Gee, you know what, Clay? That's just like real life. Some people get a crappy seed from God or Chaos or whatever, and they're born somewhere where there's not much food. And I think a roguelike is a representation of that. So there you go. Yeah,
2: we're, we are going to have the – you can seed the game. So we we you will – once it's playable, you will be able to, like, you know, share a seed and then have competitions and stuff. So that,
1: that'll that be in there. Now, I hesitate to ask this because I, uh, I don't know – how you work but is there a timeline for when this will happen or it's just going to come together you and andrew were sort of banging away at it uh is this something that will be playable that will be available in like a month later this year what when when can we look for this
2: I'm banging away at it. I mean, I'd like to be able to spend some time on it every day, but I'm I'm quite busy at the time at this point in time, and it's a hobby project. So I don't know. I mean, it's it, it might be in perma beta, but uh, <laughs> you know, anytime you want to check it out, you let me know, and uh, you know, I can I can push a build to you or anybody else for that matter. So um, you know, it's a uh, it's just. You know, the fact that it's on an iPad is a little awkward for distributing betas and stuff like that. It's not like you can just download right. it from some website, but, um, you know.
1: Great, okay. I don't have a timeline. I'm sorry. Can't answer that uh, question for you. <laughs> And actually, I think I missed this in all of the, the conversation about it. What, uh, what's the name of it? Dr. Chick. Oh, oh, so that's the actual – oh, awesome. Wow, yeah. okay. Do, wait, do, do I have to – is that – so like a, am I, am I an IP? Am I licensed? I'm wondering, yeah. can I issue a cease and desist? I, don't know. I took your IP, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> awesome all right i love the idea of that a dr chick roguelike uh even though i'm not sure i i think you should be able to starve to death i'm not sure how i feel about that but
2: well you know i'm uh, it's an open design process if you feel that's important you should contribute in the thread
1: all right uh so and there is that discussion thread going so uh, if you're listening uh you can either contact clay you can log in to the message board and participate in the the thread um great uh, all right, so uh, Clay, we also have you here today because of your I, I feel your reaction to the Microsoft reveal for the Xbox <laughs> One was not necessarily unique. Uh, before we have Nick sort of recap what went on there, tell us how, what was your reaction to sitting down to watch the Xbox One reveal?
2: Well, I was working on something else, and I wasn't going to watch it, and then I was convinced to turn it on. And I just was so bored after five minutes that I turned it off and went and got a sandwich. <laughs> That's pretty much what happened.
1: I, yep. Uh, I think a lot of us can understand that. Uh, so, Nick, why don't, why don't you break down for us briefly what did Microsoft do uh, yesterday? Or depending on when you listen to this podcast, tell us what Microsoft did on May 21st of this year.
0: Okay. So for uh, months now, mm-hmm. Um Everyone has known that Microsoft has their next-gen, after-the-Xbox-360 uh, hardware console coming out. Uh, obviously, there was a lot of rumors, a lot of speculation, uh conflicting stories about what kind of capabilities it would have, what it would look like, a lot of artist renderings. And, of course, throughout it all, Microsoft uh, remained mum on the whole right. issue, um, w- which is their policy. Right. Um, so... Uh, yesterday, they had the Xbox reveal event. Uh, a lot of uh, media folks got invited over to their Redmond campus uh, nearby here, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, they were ushered into a tent, and they were wowed with the <laughs> Xbox One and its ability to let you watch TV. In Whoa, exciting- wait a minute. TV on a
1: video game console system? I don't believe it. I know. I know, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> uh, let's talk briefly about the name. So it's called the Xbox One, which is surprising to me because I already have one of those in a closet somewhere. Uh, how's that name sound to you, Nick? Uh,
0: well, I mean, it's, it's better than the Xbox 720, which was one of those, you know, slang handles people have been throwing around. I, I, I'm not in love with Xbox One. Um I, I mean, I get what they're trying to do with it, you know, they're, it's your one place to go for all your entertainment needs. Right. Uh, but it just sounds weird.
1: <laughs> and, uh, I, I don't know if it's gonna take, but, uh, I think there's a movement to call it the X-Bone. Oh, X-Bone. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I kinda do too. I don't know I don't know if I can bring myself to use it too much, but I, I like yeah I like, I like the sound of the X bone. Uh, all right, so that's the name of it. Uh, I can watch TV on it. Um, Nick, can I sell my used game? Can I buy a copy of something that only has single player and then play it for you know eight hours and finish it and then take it to GameStop and sell it back for credit to another game? Well, here is the... Nick, I just want a yes or no.
0: Well, you're not going to get a yes or no. I see. You're just like Microsoft, aren't you? Here is the response Uh that Microsoft gave yesterday. We will have a solution that we will talk about in very short order about how previously played games can be traded or resold.
1: You know, that sounds to me like a no. That's like when you ask your dad, can I, hey, can I spend the night at so-and-so's house? Uh, and when he says, ask your mom, or when he says, we'll see, that means no. So <laughs> this, this, to me, sounds like it's like a no couched in, in veiled terms.
0: I would I would definitely say it's sounding like a no at this point. There There were two real stories coming out of this whole thing yesterday. The first, of course, being the presentation itself was – pretty disappointing if you were a gamer tuning in to see what kind of games were coming up on this console Uh, they spent a lot of time just talking about um you know tv viewing and how you can switch back and forth between your different media and then they showed uh i think seven cg videos of games that are supposed to come out no gameplay except for i think a like two seconds of actual gameplay from uh, Call of Duty ghosts right um, So th- that was the that was the first part. very disappointing if you're a gamer and you wanted to know about games. But they, but want, you fair, have, they want you ahead. to have a, an X boner for E3. <laughs> that's true. yeah and be
1: nice, played clay that's good. <laughs> that's
0: the other point. They, they, they maintain that the event yesterday was all about the hardware. they wanted to get the hardware out there start the buzz. Uh, and E3 will be all about the games.
1: And also, to be fair to them, there was a noticeable absence of uh, faux hipster showmanship. Like, it was pretty no-nonsense. Well, there's plenty of nonsense, but they didn't try to couch the nonsense in this faux excitement and have actors sort of pretending to be fans. And it, it was just the folks getting up there and demoing some of the stuff, and it, it seemed like a fairly no-nonsense. Uh, you know, we'd seen worse, I think.
0: Yeah, no, there was no usher... Uh, right. doing a dance up there. There was no little girl trying to pet a virtual tiger. So, um, <laughs> you know, that, that kind of thing, you know, it's super entertaining for people on the internet. Um, but it does look ridiculous. And, and I, I do have to say that that, that was a plus, uh, right. for their presentation. They, so they you, got down to business. They just
1: talked about the stuff and they moved on. Cause it was an hour too. Like they, they got it in their hour and then they were done. Uh, so you said there were two sort of, uh, main things going on. What what was the other one, Nick?
0: So that so the second story is after that hour uh of course all the you know people invited to this event had a bunch of questions for everybody they were there was actually an all day kind of thing going on where the the media was allowed to come look at the hardware take pictures of it you know talk to some people talk to Phil Harrison uh VP um and so that second story was just how horribly microsoft managed uh their pr at this Uh thing they they just couldn't get the story straight at one point phil harrison dropped the bomb that used games were going to cost sixty dollars for the next guy (laughs) um and then you know there was a twitter account there was like a twitter xbox support account that was going on at the same time Contradicting the things that Phil Harrison was saying. Uh, it, you, you had, you know, engineers that were, you know, telling people that, you know, the, the Xbox console absolutely does not need a internet connection, you know, except when you have to register your video games or when you trade the video game. Mm-hmm. And actually it needs to be on, you know, anytime a publisher wants you to be on. Oh, and, once every twenty four hours for an unspecified time period, the box needs to be connected as well. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, it's horrible. It was yeah. really clumsy. <laughs> uh,
1: and uh, so the uh, the other thing that come out, so lots of TV, lots of references to watching TV. They're really pushing that whole transmedia gimmick. Uh, if you were into the sports, like the the basketballing and the baseballing and the footballing that the people like, also uh, they were doing a lot of pandering to those folks as well. Yeah
0: uh there was a ton of that uh, uh and look it's uh an estimated 2 billion dollar industry um so the focus on fantasy league management uh and how the Xbox one will help you with that i know it seems silly to everybody else but that's actually a huge money maker
1: wait um, that's a 2 billion dollar industry fantasy sports
0: yeah, fantasy leagues are huge. Actually, a there's a lot of money going back and forth on this. How
1: thing. does how does money go? I thought you just that was just something people got together with their buddies and did, like playing D and D. That's not <laughs>
0: so, so. Well, apparently, uh, a big part of the money comes from uh, when people use various you know quote free services on the internet to manage those fantasy leagues. Uh, so, like one of the popular ones is Sports Illustrated has uh their own fantasy league site as well as you know Fox Sports has one of ah. course. um and so of course you get served up ads uh that metadata goes to you know marketers and whatnot so there's a lot of money being changed back and forth on that and um, so
1: Microsoft is definitely wanting to tap into yeah. a piece oh, of that
0: right okay yeah, they were not shy about that at all they they definitely want you to uh, and this was a buzzword that they passed around a lot, you know, use the second screen, uh, so to speak, to manage your fantasy league while watching NFL, and there's a huge partnership with the NFL that they announced, um, on the Xbox One.
1: So that's something that they were obviously very proud of, this idea that it was like Windows, you know, you could be watching a movie or playing a game, and it seems like Skype, you can have a separate Skype window open, Um I couldn't think of the first thing that I would want that for. Like, I get annoyed when I'm playing a game on Steam and, and McMaster says, "Hey, what are you doing?" Like, I, I who wants a Skype call coming in while he's playing a game or watching a movie? Like, what? Who is that aimed at?
0: Well, it was strange. It's it, it almost felt like Microsoft thought everyone would get excited about doing things that they currently do on their phone now.
1: On one console system, what? Literal? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Xbox One. Con- right. Okay. I see.
0: <laughs> like if I'm if I'm playing a video game and someone wants to Skype with me, I can do that right now. And you know what? I don't have to have you know my buddy's face cluttering up my screen while I'm trying to play Gears of War. Right. Right. So I don't know. It, it, it just the whole thing just came off kind of weird.
1: It did feel like they don't realize that. When we're playing our video games, we might also have an iPad or a laptop next to us, or some of us might actually have a desktop with a little laptop open next to it. Uh, that you know, everybody's already using various devices to do various things, and I'm not sure that there's any great need to focus it all on one piece of hardware. Um, it seems like that's what they're banking on—that they can sell that to us. Uh, yeah, I mean, there was—I uh, I mean, the stuff they showed,
0: you know, some of it you know it instantly switching back and forth between a game and a movie and the internet and then you know whatever else you're doing on that hub um i, I mean it was cool you know and definitely uh connect i guess 2.0 or whatever it was called i i mean the you know the lack oh. of lag and how you know well it was tracking things seemed cool i don't know that people especially want it though
1: I mean that connects still, I, I don't know, maybe it, it, it's awfully hip to bash connect, I, I think, but I still feel it's solving a problem no one has. I mean controllers work just fine. I watched that guy doing his his little, you know, resize the screen to make it big, you know, he, it's almost like a weird goatsy gesture, like you're opening a sphincter <laughs> or something. I, and I was like, I don't need to do that. And uh, it just seemed like it was full arm gestures to imitate things you do with your iPad. Uh, and it just struck me as like ridiculous and pointless. And it's, is that really a problem that, that, you know, we can do those things with our controllers. We can press buttons to do things. Um, yeah, so that's, that's uh, so much of what they talked about yesterday just completely bounced off me. Uh, the but I
2: guess... has been used for some really cool hardware hacking projects that have nothing to do with the Xbox.
1: Sure, yeah, like, it's a, it's a piece of hardware that people can sort of it's, imagine cool uses for, right?
2: Yeah, so, well, they hook to their PC and then they make, like, interactive art installations and things like that, so it's useful there, they, <laughs> and that's probably right. not their target audience. <laughs>
1: uh i guess the voice recognition stuff though so like so many people think connect is synonymous with just flailing but it does i maybe some people really enjoy that voice activated stuff you know being able to say uh xbox watch cars 2 you know maybe people are really into that kind of thing uh, not my bag
2: i read somewhere that there the people who are watching that show on their xbox were having trouble watching it because The guy on, who was actually doing the presentation kept saying Xbox, you know, and issuing some command and then their (laughs) Xboxes were responding to the command that
1: was issued on the video. That's awesome. Uh, I I see some sort of rogue AI horror movie coming out of this.
0: Yeah. (laughs) You know, I've I've actually already run into that problem. I will, I used to have the, uh, Kinect on, uh, the Xbox all the time and I would watch a movie on Netflix, and someone would say something in the movie, and, you know, next thing you know, I'm rewinding. (laughs) That's (laughs) awesome. (laughs) So, you know, I wound up just turning the, uh, connect off.
1: So, uh, um, it's, it's not just me, uh, Nick, but I, I think a lot of folks were really fond of the Call of Duty dog. Oh, the dog was awesome. The dog was awesome, uh. Clay, you missed a cool dog. You know, you, you bailed after about five minutes. I don't know if you know this. There's now a dog in Call of Duty. He is your buddy. He's wearing, what, is that like a Kevlar vest? I don't know what he's wearing. Is it like a, is it like a harness where you can like, he can lead you around? What kind of gears that dog have on him, Nick? Any idea? I don't know, but it had an antenna on it. So I'm thinking
0: <laughs> it'd be awesome to remote control the dog. I thought that was a camera on the dog.
1: Was it? Oh, yeah, maybe it could be like a dog cam kind of thing. Yeah, that, uh, that would be just as cool. Maybe it's a laser gun. Like the dog actually has his own weapon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I really did not just, I mean, I love the idea of the dog in the game. There have been plenty of cool games with dogs like Fable, and there's Dog Meat and Fallout 3 and whatnot. Uh, but my favorite thing about the presentation, not just that they have a dog, but that they showed footage of doing motion capture with an actual live dog which I just thought was adorable, having the little motion capture points stuck on the dog and having him bark and roll around and stuff like that. That just looked really adorable. Um, so, uh, all right, so we'll expect more information relevant to folks like us around E3. Uh, and we'll, we'll see what kind of things we can actually play on, on this new uh, Xbox One uh, in a few weeks. So... Uh, all right, so that's it for uh, the Xbox. Uh, Nick, let's do some games of the week this week. Why don't you start us off uh, and tell me what is your game of the week this week?
0: My game of the week is Sanctum
1: you know 2. Oh, so I was going to have you give us a quiz to make <laughs> us guess. Oh. I guess Sanctum 2. <laughs> Uh, no, I have not played Sanctum 1. Uh, Clay, have you played a Sanctum game before? I have not, no. Uh, Clay, are you a fan of tower defense games? Um, you
2: know, I've I played way too much Field Runners, uh, and mm-hmm. sort of like Ridiculous Fishing, I one day just deleted it, and I've never really gone back.
1: Okay, well, that's that's tower defense, you certainly get your fill. Yeah. Huh? Now, uh... So the, what's the twist for the Sanctum games, Nick? It's not just tower defense. It's got a unique angle, right? It does have a unique
0: angle, and that is that you are actually playing the tower defense from first-person mode. Uh, in Sanctum, you play a young lady with a variety of guns. Uh, the creeps come in. You set up towers. You set up walls. Oh, wait, um, is this
1: first-person or third-person? Do you actually see the little first character? First-person. First oh.
0: Uh, and you, uh, you're actually a, I I guess you could say you're like a mobile tower. Um, you can run around on top of the walls, you can, you know, sort of camp up there, and then you can snipe away at the creeps as they come through your maze that you've built. Mm -hmm. Um, there were, after all the DLC, and they, they had a ton of free DLC as well, I should point that out, um, Sanctum had a ton of maps, uh, the maps, some of them were very long. Um, As in waves, time
1: played, you mean? As in like how long it takes to sit down and play it?
0: Ha- ha- yes, like okay. some of the maps, uh, I'm not exaggerating, would would go on for like 45 minutes to an hour. Um, Ye- okay. W- which for a tower defense, you know, for one round of tower defense can be a while.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so that was that was one of the things that they looked at for Sanctum Two. Um, another one was that uh, the creeps it completely ignored you. Um, like I said, you were just a mobile tower, so the creeps would just kind of go around you and just head on to the core like they wanted to. Um, so that was something they looked at for the second one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so the second one uh, just recently launched, um, Sanctum 2. Uh, this time they have different characters you can play instead of just... Uh, the one main woman, there's like her younger sister, there's a sniper dude, there's a shotgun guy.
1: So they have different powers. Like these are characters aren't, they're not just different models or whatever.
0: No, no, they do have different powers. They, they have different, uh, health. Um, and they have, uh, different main weapons attached to them. And the health is important now because the creeps actually will veer away from whatever path they're on and come after you if you start damaging them.
1: I can't imagine what what kind of tower defense game with a, an action skew like this doesn't have doesn't put you in danger because I immediately thought of a few other games Nick and they all you you're fighting the creatures and they're fighting you uh, that seems silly but so now they will attack you now you're in danger you have to watch out for your own skin yes okay
0: yeah there's a little bit of that and and actually it's uh there's kind of a strategy there too where you can you know kind of kite them now mm-hmm. um, so that you can lead them past more towers and whatnot. Uh, whereas in the first game, you just couldn't do that. They they really wouldn't veer from their path. Are the maps open
1: enough? Or It's not just corridors?
0: Okay, so this is where I get into a little bit of my complaint with Sanctum 2. Um, the maps are much smaller. Uh, so small, in fact, that uh, when it first launched the maximum amount of towers that you could build on a map was 10.
1: It still seems like a I I guess it depends on how far they have to walk. Like, is the idea that the maps are just that much smaller so you couldn't possibly fit too many more than 10 towers?
0: Yeah, here, so Sounds a lot like of people so complained about it. that. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people complained about that at first. So the uh, developers Coffee Stain Studios... Went ahead and upped the hard cap to 15 towers. Um, but as other people point out, it doesn't really matter because the maps are so small, the creeps run up to the core so quickly, and the resources that drop are so sparse, you know, between waves that you're really not gonna make more than 10 towers no matter what. Okay. Um, so that's sounds kind of like a
1: weird. It sounds like there's some weird balance issue going on if they can release the game thinking, okay, you're only gonna get ten towers, but then they can raise that maximum to, you know, fifteen from ten. Like that sounds like something that you would fix one way or the other as part of your gameplay design.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. They I it uh it definitely sounds like they were caught short uh by the reaction that people had with the hard cap on the towers. Um I, I'm not sure how much of a testing period they had with it. Um the other odd thing about Sanctum 2, Sanctum 1 was a PC-only game. Uh, it was available through Steam. Sanctum 2 is also available on console. As it should be. As it should be. <laughs> but but this, is, is it, this is an odd thing? Well, it, there's a lot of talk. To- I don't know how valid this is, but there is a lot of talk that uh, the size of the maps and um, some of the other choices that they made with regards to the design ah. uh, have been done to accommodate the lower memory requirements I of see. consoles.
1: Is it, a, is it a graphically intense game?
0: Uh, it's an Unreal Engine game, so no. not no. really. Okay. I mean, it's, you know, it looks good. It does look good. I, I, I will give it props that the Sanctum series has a really nice, crisp design. Is it sci-fi? Is it fantasy? It or is what? sci-fi. So okay. I would, I would say it, it looks like something that stepped right out of the movie 2001.
1: Ah, I, you're selling me. Okay. Yeah. It,
0: it, the design is very strong. I, I do like the design in the game. It's, uh, or at least the art design. The visual um, design, right. Yeah. It's, it's really coherent. It looks good. Uh, you know, it, it uses the Unreal Engine well. I, it you know it's not going to push your system, but uh, I, I, you know no complaints here.
1: On well, that. now real quick, when you say ten towers, are you also upgrading the towers as you go? Like is a tower just something you plop down and you're done, or is it still interactive after you've built it and you're you're upgrading it?
0: Uh, you can upgrade the towers, um, okay. uh But again, there are so few resources dropped in between waves. Uh, that I you don't really get to upgrade much. Okay. You're just not so, going to upgrade. Now the other thing is it's a co-op game. All right. Was the, well? uh, the first one as well. The first one, I believe the first one was. I don't know. I never played it co-op. I did. I have played Sanctum Two co-op. Okay. Um, the drawback there though is that the resources drop as, like, two big loot chests in between the rounds. You have one loot chest that's basically, hey, here's your, you know, money to build mm-hmm. towers and upgrade towers, and then there's another loot chest that is basically the number of segments of wall that you can set up. Uh, so, in
1: co-op... They're funneling the, the, the creeps around, like the walls used to, like, channel right, the creeps, right? To create, okay. the, to create
0: the maze. Um, okay. Now, the problem is, in co-op mode... Well, those two loot chests drop, and hopefully you communicate well enough with your buddy, (laughs) because he can either snap up the one you want, or snap up both of them, leaving you with nothing.
1: It's kind of rude. It's a little rude. (laughs) Does the uh, difficulty scale at all? Because I would think if you have double the firepower in a co-op mission, or actually does it need to?
0: Uh, you know, I think it does scale a little bit. I, I haven't really played through any of the levels in co-op and single to check that out. Right. Uh, but then again, you know, the hard cap on the towers doesn't increase and the resources don't seem to increase, so I don't know. I, I don't know how much scaling would be necessary.
1: What, what's the overall structure of the game? Do I play level 1, then level 2, then level 3? Is there any sort of uh, meta game where you're upgrading skills or anything like that? Or is it just a series of self-contained tower defense levels? Uh,
0: the, so the first game was self-contained tower defense levels that just unlocked one after the other. Okay. Uh, Sanctum 2, there is a perk system, and you gain XP, and you can level up uh, your little character.
1: I kind of want to play this now, Nick. Is that, is it, is that the intended result of, of what you're telling me about Sanctum Two? You know what? I, I
0: the jury's out for me. I, okay. I I don't think it's a bad game. Uh, I think it does some interesting things. Mm-hmm. I I still like some of the mechanics of it. I my issue, my main issue at this point um, is that the shooty bits are just not good enough to support as much shooting as they want you to do. Okay.
1: Uh, Like, you spend a lot of time shooting things, and you're just not as as enamored of the actual act of shooting in the game, considering the time they want you to spend. Okay.
0: Yeah, the guns just feel kind of spongy, and um, they just don't feel very effective. And then, of course, the creeps are, you know, brain dead. So, uh, unlike, let's say, a horde mode... um, which is kind of essentially what this is, y- you know, where the where the monsters are sort of reacting to you and doing things, these, you know, either run for the core or they run at you. There, mm-hmm. there really isn't much else to be done.
1: Uh, how would it compare to... Let me list three games, all of which I love. I'm curious if I should... Uh, you know, this makes me... I'm curious how similar Sanctum is to uh, Dungeon Defenders, uh, the Toy Soldiers Cold War game, and uh the Orcs Must Die series.
0: Okay. Um, well it has the co op of Orcs Must Die. Um, it is first person though, so there is that. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't think it's as strong a game as Orcs Must Die Two. Mm-hmm. Uh I Uh Toy Soldiers I I think I like a little bit more.
1: Um, dungeon defenders, that could be a toss up. Let me, I'm gonna guess the kinds of towers that are in the game. As soon as I guess one that's not actually in the game, I've lost. So let's see how many points I can get. Okay. Guessing the types of towers in Sanctuary 2. There's one tower that is, uh, it does a little damage, but it fires quickly. Yep. Okay, good. That's one point for me. Actually, you know, uh, let, let's get you in here, Clay. Now you guess a type of tower. We'll see who fails first.
2: Probably me. I'm, I'm guessing there's one type of tower that shoots something that slows down the incoming... Oh,
1: that's what I was going to guess. Like a freeze uh, tower. Yeah. I was going to guess that. Dadgummit. Is he right? Did he get it <laughs> next? Nice? Oh, yeah. 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 All right. There's one tower that does like, like... It's like a flame tower in that it does damage over time to a creep. Yes, there is a damage S- over time.
0: Sweet. All
2: right, Clay, you're up. There is a tower that uh, damages aerial units.
1: Yes. Ah. Okay. There's one tower. That f- it's the, it's the inverse of the first one I mentioned. It fires slowly, but each shot does a whole lot of damage. Oh yeah. Ah. So, okay. Over to you, Clay. Uh.
2: Let's see. Um. What have we covered here? <laughs> There's.
1: Uh, oh, I have another guess. I'm not. Gonna
2: I'm, I'm thinking. I'm thinking something like. There's, there's one, yeah, there's one tower that's like, shoots something like a sustained damage thing, um, but takes a long time to recharge. Maybe that's what you already said, like a, the Tesla type thing from field runners. Uh, I don't know how to explain mm. it better than that.
1: Yeah, I don't
0: know. I, yeah, I, I, I think
1: I know what you're talking about. Yep. Yep. <laughs> there's one of those. All right. Here's my guess. There's a tower that does like, it, it chains damage amongst multiple creeps, like lightning. Mm. yes yep. sweet all right clay what do you got now <laughs> surely we, we've got to be running out of options uh, we've got to be there is a tower that
2: releases a vehicle that uh, flies around and does damage no
1: oh, oh. Shit, though. i would have liked that i like where you're going <laughs> uh, so, so basically the mechanics of the tower and creep interaction are pretty straightforward it sounds like like mostly familiar stuff
0: yeah, it's pretty straight. I would say that the you know the the actual tower defense part of it is, I mean, if you're looking for tower defense, yep, it's there. Right, it's tower defense. Right.
1: All right. So, Sanctum Two, uh, your game of the week, Nick. Um, Clay, I take it so you you have not played Sanctum Two either. You said so. These are these are not, since field runners. Clay, have you played Dungeon Defenders? i haven't no i i'll I'll tell you really the only thing
2: i can contribute to any modern tower defense discussion is that um i decided earlier this year i was going to try to do that one game a month challenge where you create a game a month Um, and then i got really sick for the first like three months of the year but my first idea that i was working on was a um a a tower defense game well tower defense style game that takes place in a refugee camp and basically, the incoming horde are a bunch of people seeking shelter, <laughs> and your job is to place down buildings that can serve them. <laughs> and they would, all, all these poor, hungry, sad people, like, staggering in, and if they didn't find the services they need in your refugee camp, then they would uh wander on
1: past. <laughs> and then you would lose. I like that. Do wow. that. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Forget this toddler taxonomy stuff. Make that.
2: <laughs> I've already I, actually I have a prototype of it. I just I never I wasn't able to work on it because I got I came down with like norovirus and then awful flu and stuff. So oh good I lord dude, yeah. To go, go back to it. I didn't go back to it after
1: that. But um, yeah, do you guys know? Uh, do you know the anomaly games? Uh, anomaly two just recently came out where there's a set of you're, you're basically playing the creep, but the creep is a train of powerful vehicles. Uh, do you guys know those games?
2: Uh, you know, I've read about those. I've never played them, though. They look sort of interesting.
1: Uh, it, it, at first it is, but you, as you're playing it, it really is ultimately, it's just a tower defense game. I mean, it, the fact that they change roles like that doesn't really change the way the game feels. You're still choosing a weapon to fight a specific type of enemy, and the fact that you are moving through towers is not much different in terms of the actual motion, the actual feeling is that the creep's moving towards you. Like, if you were to just fix in place that one train that you're playing, it just feels still like the towers are coming towards you. Uh, as And they're basically creeps. Um, it's a cool idea. And the second one actually adds a multiplayer mode that I haven't been able to try yet, where one person puts the towers around a maze and the other person plays the train and he's trying to drive around and avoid the towers and pick up resources. So, I haven't tried it, but I can imagine there could be some cat and mouse in terms of you know, okay. I think he's going to come here, so I'm going to put these towers here. And uh, but I, I do like their uh, their approach. Um, all right, so uh, Sanctum Two available on various platforms. That's your game of the week, uh, Nick. I will go next, Clay. We're we're saving you for last. <laughs> do you guys know about a game called uh, Never had to say it out loud. I'm just going to venture a guess. I'm going to assume it's Reyes. R- Art. N- uh, R E U S. Oh, yes. Yeah, so,
2: oh, yeah. Actually, I looked into that because I, I saw on uh Steam that you were playing it.
1: Wait, how do, Oh, so do, how did you know about it, Nick? Have you heard of this? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the you're the big giant. Uh, kind of. It it's it's a traditional god game, and I was trying to think, you know, what are some of the other recent god games? And and there haven't been a lot. Like god games is a is a genre, every now and then you get one. Um but it's not as crowded as, say, Tower Defense. Um, so it's a traditional god game, and you don't—you're not a giant. Technically, you are this planet. It's a 2D game. You can rotate the planet and look at a piece of it. It's basically just a, a stretch, a, a flat plane that connects at the ends. Um, and the planet has four giants, and the giants are basically the creatures that you control to do things. Uh, and there's a stone giant, there's a forest giant, there's a water giant, and there's a swamp giant. So each one can create a certain type of terrain. Uh, they also have power to enrich the terrain with either plants, animals, or minerals. So once you take this barren planet and you tell one of the giants, you know, make an ocean here, or make a forest there, uh, and then in the ocean you put fish or in the forest you put plants, eventually a nomad makes a village there. Uh, so what you're trying to do in every game is Reus comes with this long, crazy list of achievements, just like Steam achievements. I think they even on the PC version double for the Steam achievements. But any time you meet one of these achievements, you unlock a new resource that you didn't have before. For instance, the game I had last night... I, I kicked ass, I, I accomplished something like six different achievements, and I unlocked cherries, and, and iron, uh, and uh, I forget some other things, uh, platinum, aluminum, uh, things like that. So I didn't have those resources before, but from now on, every game I play, I'll have access to those. So when you sit down to play, you're looking at the achievements, and it even presents you with three of them. Uh, just, it just randomly picks three reasonably achievable ones, and it puts them at the top of the screen. So you can hover your mouse and see, okay, if I accomplish this, I'm going to unlock something. And what you're trying to do is within the time limit, and it's not a hurried game, the time limit is just there to keep you from just playing forever. Like you have to basically look at the time you have to play and think, okay, here's what I'm going to try to accomplish this time. So within that time limit, you are making terrain, you enrich the terrain with plants, animals, or minerals. A nomad creates a village. Now, here's where the real gameplay comes. This village and these, these people in the village, they are, of course, autonomous because this is a god game. You're not controlling them. Uh, this village will at some point say, hey, we want to make, and it rolls this randomly, a school. And furthermore, and this is called a project, there are all kinds of projects, and every project even has subcategories. So, for instance, a school, it might be a hunting school, or it might be a fishing school, or it might be uh, – there's even a cooking school, and different schools uh, have different – Advantages they'll confer on this village if you complete them. So this village is like, hey, we want a school, and we want it to be a cooking school, uh, in which case we get a bonus from all these plants. So suddenly this village now, you really want it to have lots of plants around it, uh, and you want to finish this project by giving it a certain amount of resources. This is either food or gold or technology, uh, and you get these by putting plants, animals, and minerals around. So as these projects are proposed, uh, it determines how you're going to create this little village, what things you're going to plant around it. Uh, and once you accomplish the project, a little ambassador comes out of the village. It's a little person with a bubble over his head. Uh, he represents his type of terrain. So if I build a school in a forest, uh, then a forest ambassador comes out. And my, one of my giants can pick him up and put him on his little head. And that ambassador rides around on the giant and unlocks one of the giant's new powers. So as you're building new projects in villages, you're unlocking giants' additional powers, which then makes it easier to build more complicated, more ambitious projects. Um, so it's all about what projects are going to roll up, you know, randomly, uh, what bonuses they'll give a village, therefore how you want to build the village up. Uh, as the villages start growing, uh, there's a little... Uh, there's a, an information display for each village. And one of the things that the villages develop is greed. So if people have a lot of resources, they'll start to want more and they might go to war against other villages. Maybe there's a village that you're trying to cultivate for a specific project and a nearby aggressive neighbor comes over and invades it. And you're like, Hey, you guys get out of there. Stop. Ah. These little people can screw up your plans. Uh, and they can even get so upset that they don't like your giants uh, I had one game where my poor little swamp giant, for whatever reason, he picked up aggro from one of the villagers, <laughs> and this this army literally hunted him around the world. I kept running him away, and I didn't want to kill them because your score is based on the prosperity of your people, and I could pretty easily wipe them out. The swamp giant can throw a muck bomb. The stone giant can do an earthquake. Um, I I could have easily killed these guys, but I didn't want to because I wanted the points they gave me. So I just kept running my swamp giant away. And at one point I lost track of them and they freaking killed my swamp giant, which ended the game. Um, and so, so I, I don't know of many God games where the people can actually rise up and kick you out of the game. Uh, I I like that aspect of it. In
2: retrospect, would you have killed them?
1: Oh, totally. And that's what the game <laughs> wants you to do. Yeah, I mean, it's totally that what the lesson, it doesn't teach you this, but the lesson you learn, and, and Reyes is so generous with encouraging and rewarding trial and error. This is one of the only cases where I, I ran into a hard fail state. But the lesson you learn from this is that sometimes you need to, basically do a a noah's art like a a a flood sometimes you basically need to reboot the population of an area Um, (laughs) and one of the things that encourages you to do is if you get if the people say hey we want a school and you don't want them to have a school you're trying to get a different achievement or maybe you want to cultivate different kinds of resources you can just destroy the school and they'll sulk a little bit but then later shortly they'll they'll propose a new project um and then furthermore each of these villages as you're creating it it The game lets you lay new plants, animals, and minerals over old ones. So maybe this village has a cooking school. I've planted a bunch of awesome plants around it. And by the way, one of the things I love in this game is the resources are so oddly, charmingly specific. You know, plants are never things like... uh, Wheat or berries. It's always very weird, specific stuff like like tomato plants or dandelions or elderberry. Um, and it's the same with the animals and the minerals. Like the animals in here are things like like stoats uh, and martens and uh, and clownfish. Uh, I love how specific the stuff is. Um, and they all have unique abilities that interact with other uh, plants, animals, and minerals in unique ways. So there are these strange synergies, and I think they even call them, I think they call them synchronicities. There are these synergies that emerge uh, that are very gamey, but that's part of learning reus, is learning, for instance, that... Chickens like blueberries, you know. I don't think that's a real world thing, but in Reyus, chickens and blueberries go together. Um, mackerel at sea, like if you overlap schools of mackerel, they increase exponentially in terms of how much food you get from them. Uh, eventually, there are these strange advanced synergies. Uh, I had one village propose as this real as this upper level project. They wanted an observatory, and the observatory needed crazy amounts of technology, and uh, you can pause the game at any time, by the way, and sort of look stuff up. It links to a wiki if you want. But I found out that the best way to get this technology to make this observatory was a combination of phosphorus mines surrounded by peppermint plants. And that, that makes no real-world sense. Uh, but they had this crazy synergy, and they, they – Generated huge amount of technology, and that created for me an observatory. And the observatory now benefits from coffee and tea. So if I now uh, uproot those phosphor, if I fill in those phosphorus mines and uproot the peppermint plants, and I plant coffee and tea plantations, my village just gets crazy productive. Um, so I'm really liking it. It's beautiful. It has this lovely 2D art style. Uh I love how specific all the little resources are. I love discovering the strange synergies like phosphorus and peppermint. I like that each play session, it's either you know a 30 minute or hour long play session and you're just trying to achieve these specific objectives, and then that unlocks stuff that you can use in later play sessions. Um, so there you go. That's my game of the week is uh Reus. How long is it, how long does it take to play through a game? So the the when you first start out, it's got three basic tutorials which are very short. They're to just show you uh, some basic mechanics, and then I think the first you then unlock the half hour play session, and you play. You can only play a half hour at a time. Uh, you can't play any longer. Once you get to a half hour, the giants go to sleep. So you unlock a half hour play session. You can save it at any time, by the way. So it's not like you have to play that half hour. Uh, you can play 15 minutes and then save it and come back to it. Uh, but once you reach... Once you unlock a certain number of achievements, you then go to a level where you can play, I think, an hour-long play session. And then after that, and I haven't gotten to this point yet, you can play two hour-long play sessions. Um, and the, the reason... That I think they're time limited is, there's a sandbox mode, uh, if you have unlimited time, you can pretty much accomplish anything in the game. Uh, that the time limit is based on how many ambassadors you get from how many villages to unlock how many giant powers to then give you all these, uh, let you create all these synergies. One of the things the giants can do is they can cast different buffs that will morph one resource into another resource. For instance, if you take a stoat, and then if the forest giant casts what's called a hunting buff on the stoat, it turns it into a fox. But I don't get that hunting buff until the forest giant puts a little amb- specific ambassador on his shoulders. Um, so when, basically anytime you sit down to play, you're either committing to a half hour, an hour, or a two hour session. Yeah. That's cool.
2: Sometimes uh, the god games, you know, if they go on and on, and they're like the open-ended ones, you know, you get to a point where like there's just nothing left to do. And you're well, sort of waiting for stuff to happen.
1: Yeah, and that that's the thing, is that you can play the sandbox mode here. You're not going to unlock stuff, uh, but you're only going to get to play with the stuff that you've unlocked.
2: I'll be honest, I saw it on Steam that you were playing it, and I, I looked at it, and I was like, oh, that looks sort of neat. And then I saw the screenshots that looked like the villagers who were going to fight, and it made me think that it was like a RTS game of some sort,
1: and I ah. <laughs> immediately clicked away. Yeah, you definitely don't, when they're going to fight, Uh, that's just, that's their, their greed stat, uh, has gone up. And so they'll get aggressive against other things and they get aggressive enough. They'll attack your giants, but you never control them. There's nothing RTSy about this clay. As a matter of fact, what it most reminds me of, uh, tilted mill made a city builder called Sim City Societies where you, you put down little buildings and the buildings had unique properties and resource consumption and production, uh, properties. Uh, so it was all about fitting together the different buildings and testing their synergies. Uh, that's what Reus reminds me of, is all the resources have different synergies and properties, and they're unique, and they're, they're imaginative, they have a lot of personality. So it's all about fitting together these different pieces, creating these different clockwork areas within a village boundary uh, to see what happens and to try to reach certain thresholds. Um, and there's nothing, yeah, there's nothing RTSy at all about it. Uh, you know, it, it does, and it, it does remind me of the original populace, you know, where you're smoothing terrain and raising it and you're just going to see what the guys can do. And sometimes they'll, you know, they'll, they'll grow a little too fast or they won't go where you want them to. There's, there's this sense that the, the world beneath you and populace, it, it, it plays by its own rules, but there's this great sense of watching how it unfolds and watching how the people develop. Um, so yeah, so I'm playing Reyes. Check it out. That sounds cool. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's it's one of those budget. It's probably it's like a, I think a ten dollar game. Uh, it's a little indie developer from the UK called I believe Abbey Games. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, this this is their first thing. Um, so Reyes. All right, Clay. What do you then have for your pick of game of the week? Well, we talked about diaper changing. <laughs>
2: no, uh, <laughs> I. I I have to, I have to catch this as saying I've, I've had minimal time since my, uh, second daughter was born to play games. So, oh. um, but the one that I have been, so following on from like having made, uh, games for my older daughter and trying to think about what to do next, she always asks me, uh, cause she wants to make a game, uh, that has to do with space. So I've been looking at games related to space and the one in particular that she loves to sit on my lap and help me play is Kerbal Space Program, so that would be my game of the week.
1: Now, I've heard a lot about this, and I've seen screenshots. Uh, I I I don't know. Yeah, I don't know much about it. So, what? How does Kerbal Space Program play? Describe this for me.
2: Well, I think, I mean, it has to be described as something that is an inactive development, and I think the main like uh, you know mission progression. Um, is not yet been implemented, so it's pretty much a sandbox at this point in time. But um, you know, you have a, a a solar system full of planets that sort of mock the planets in our solar system, or mimic them at least. And and uh, you have these little guys called Kerbals, and basically um, a, a fairly robust uh, tool set for building your own uh, rockets, and you can do whatever you want at this point, since there is no um, implemented. Um, mission progression, or at least in the version that I'm playing, there's not, um, and I may not have the latest version, but um, the, you have unlimited funds, so you can put whatever parts you want in the rocket, so if you want, like, you know, 35 giant engines on the back of this thing with massive gas tanks, like, <laughs> you can do it, um, and it will take off and most likely explode, like, as you're trying to get it into <laughs> orbit, so Kerbal. So, so you know, you spend a fair amount of time designing your rocket because what, you, or your rocket and/or other like um, things that you're trying to get into orbit or onto a planet. So you can make lander um, aircraft, you can make lander craft, you can make um, uh, craft that more closely resemble um, airplanes. Um, and then the, you know, I don't know how real the physics in it are, but they're at least more real than in, in most games. So as you put all this stuff together, you have to be really, you know, cognizant of. Of um, the amount of shaking that's going to happen in, in your launch vehicle, and and whether or not it's going to you know explode as you're you know applying thrust and trying to break through the atmosphere and things like that, and um, you know it's it is uh, very easy to build a rocket that. Explodes before it gets into orbit, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and that's actually great because my daughter loves it when they explode. <laughs> so one thing about Kerbal space program is is when she matches the keyboard while I'm playing, there's almost that there's at least a 99.5 percent chance that she will do something
1: that causes my rocket
2: to explode. <laughs> so um, Clay, we're not, we're, that's not that's your, okay. uh, we're not
1: putting we're not going to put your daughter in charge of NASA. <laughs> just so you know.
2: Well, you know, she's got to. <laughs> You've got to fail to learn, right? Um, so, so, um, so I've been thinking about this because she, you know, she's interested in, in in space games. It's actually quite fun to try. Like the first time you get a, a a craft into orbit, you're like, yeah, I'm the best person ever. And then you you look at people's like after action reports, and you know they've managed to get like four landers onto some planet that's way far away, and they have like orbiting refueling stations with all these tanks that they brought up, and they're doing, you know they're you know doing spacewalks on you know, planets here and there and people all around but and and then you then you feel like how in the world could I ever make that happen um, but then you really have to you know think very carefully about how you construct your craft and how much fuel you have and how much you need to burn in order to get into orbit and how you make your um how you set your trajectories to break out of orbit, and when you do your like controlled burns in order to like you know, try to get to other planets,
1: and okay, I can't all turn this. To slow down? Yeah, all this sounds like rocket science. How is the average person? How how how, how can this possibly be accessible?
2: It is very inaccessible um, on one <laughs> level because it it is rocket science, um, and on the other level, it's actually just like this really cool. Um, Toy set slash toolbox, at least at this point, to play with, where you, um, you know, you, you get to at least think about some of these things that are, you know, that go into trying to get, say, a craft to go to Mars or something like that. So it's not—I wouldn't just call it a, a particularly accessible at this point in time. The little Kerbal guys are, are, are pretty hilarious. Like when you're when you're flying your your spacecraft, they. You see their little faces in the corner, and if you're flying it well, you know, they look happy and they're smiling, but if you're not fly- fly- flying it well, they all look terrified.
1: Because <laughs> they're on their like little cute hamster kind of things, aren't they? What are those things? You know, they're just
2: these little astronauts with giant green heads. I'm, I don't know, <laughs> they're, they're Kerbals, but they, uh, you know, they're funny, they have their, their little personalities and stuff, but um, so I've been trying to think about how I could, I've been trying to think about like, what do you, you know, in my in my time when I'm say changing diapers and not playing games, <laughs> think about how you take something, um, you know, that would uh, be able to introduce a, a, a young child or young children to, you know, all the interesting things that go on in space, but and without it being complicated, um, but also to be interactive where they could, you know. Build a spaceship simply, or there's a pre-built spaceship and they can fly it around and like you know land on different planets and the moon or whatever and, and learn about that. So I think the next toddler series game might be a uh, you know, toddler astronaut or something where they <laughs> they, they fly a, a little craft around and, get, and and learn a little bit about our solar system or
0: something. But
1: now there yeah. is a oh, Dad, comment. I wish I could think of the name of this. And my iPad's in the other room, but there is a it's like a space program development game on the iPad. Where each phase of development, like you launch something and then you arrange the, uh, the orbit and then you shoot it for another planet. But each one is kind of a mini game that, that, uh, shows, do, do you know what I'm talking about, Nick? Yeah, you're talking about Space Agency? Oh yeah, Space Agency, no. thank you. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, sorry, Clay to the rescue. Uh, so do, doesn't, do you feel that kind of qualifies? Cause I, I haven't gotten very far with it just because I'm like, well, it's a mini game. I don't really feel like having to do all the little Dexterity tricks it's wanting me to do, but I respect the way that it, it represents the different stages of space exploration, uh, and then layers them together into scenarios. Have you seen that very much, Clay?
2: Yeah, I've been playing it. It's it's not um, in any way, shape, or form something that would be accessible to a toddler. <laughs> but right. and <laughs> in, in fact, like your your take on it is many I, I I played it some and I I just got sort of like bored and annoyed, and I think part of the reason is because of the minigame aspect to it. But the the um and I should play it more and, and try to get further along because the the Kerbal I mean Kerbal totally lacks a tutorial at this point in time, but like there's no it's not gonna tell you when you're doing something right or wrong. I mean your your rocket blows up or you end up stranding people in space or you end up stranding them on a planet or something. But like you, you you just it's it's really trial and error and I felt like space agency, um at least the parts of that play were you know a little more guided and, and, and boring. Not I don't want, I don't want, um, you know, I'm not, when I'm thinking about it in terms of, you know, potentially doing something, it's going to have to be way simpler. Um, But, you know, how do you take something like Limitless Space and turn it into something accessible to a toddler where they can learn? I don't know. I mean, I don't, she's not going to learn about, you know, how to adjust her gimbal, blah, blah. But, like, (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know what that means. (laughs) But. But uh you know she's just gonna you know maybe figure out the learn the difference between Saturn and Jupiter or something right uh
1: i I think yeah space agency has a whole it it's so scenario based in each scenario, I think the idea is you have a certain amount of money you can use to pick different components uh and that seems like that in the mini game seem like the bulk of the gameplay like yeah. what's the best way you can optimize with within this allowance of resources and these components for your rocket? and then this dexterity with your mini game, you know, it's the best score you can get.
2: Uh, yeah, you ought, to, you ought to check out Kerbal. I mean, it, it's... Uh, it can be very
1: frustrating, but it's also fun. Well, I realize...
2: A gimbal, by the way, is a pivoted support that allows the rotation of an object about a single axis.
1: You know what? I wasn't going to lord it over you, Clay, but I kind of knew that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'm realizing now the reason I haven't looked at Kerbal is because I'm waiting for them to finish it. Like, I, I know it's in one of those extended beta things, and you can play an early build of it but i kind of want uh, you know i need gameplay and i I want there to be some sort of resource system and i want there to be a reason to go to a specific planet and explore it with with uh rovers rather than be a you know, the sandbox that it is right now where you do stuff just for the heck of it. You know, it's like the achievements I was talking about in raves. Sure. And it's fine that it's got a free play, and I'm sure a lot of people would enjoy that. You know, I had my friend's son over here looking at it, and he just loved the fact that you can just drop elderberries and stoats and chickens and foxes and agate mines. He loved that kind of thing, but for me, I'm like, no, we've got to try to beat this achievement right here. This is what we've got to do. This is our goal. There are very definite rules here, you know. Uh, so that's one of the reasons that I haven't fiddled with curveball yet, is I'm waiting on those guys to finish it and make
2: well, a game it game. Achievements and I have a, 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 a hot and cold relationship. In fact, I was playing Monaco for a few minutes earlier today, and like, I just have to get all every last coin on the level. I can't not do it, you know. And and then I've got to beat the time. I'm just like Kerbal's nice. It well, has no uh, okay. Well, me.
1: right. Well, now, now here, you know, there's a reason to get every last coin on a level in Monaco, though. Do you know that? Sure, of course, yeah. Because you're when you each coin you don't get, your time goes up by 10 or 15 oh, seconds. Oh, yeah, yeah, but not just the score chase, but for whenever you, uh I think that's called clearing a level, or to you need to clear a certain number of levels to unlock the alternate versions of the levels. Like that's oh, okay. something. It's not. A just because achievement and I you know I can fall prey to those but the ones that really get me are the achievements that give you some tangible reward and in Monaco clearing all the coins off of a level is part of what you have to do to unlock the later levels in Reus, uh, you know doing an achievement is what you have to do to unlock the different resources right. yeah. Um, so yeah I don't want you know even in Kerbal I, you know if they're just like build a rocket that goes this high before blowing up, unless I'm going to get some <laughs> tangible gameplay reward for that. Uh, you know, I'm like, oh, whatever. Uh, yeah. Uh, I do like those little, I do like the screenshots, though, that show the the levels of terror or the little guy's faces down in the <laughs> Yeah, they're pretty funny. Yeah. Uh,
2: what is, and Monica, when you, on the, like, level selection screen, when the, the level, like, there's a box around each level, and the ones that have, like, the little... Um, Sort of blue diamond, I'm not looking at it now, but a little blue diamond at the top, are the, the yep. those the ones you've gotten all the coins on? Yep,
1: exactly. Oh, okay. And then you'll notice there's a separate sort of a timeline underneath it, I think it starts with the pickpockets version of the story. Yeah. Uh, and then each of those levels, it'll be like, up, clear two more levels, and then you can play this one.
2: Okay, uh, yeah, I didn't, I was wondering what that little blue thing was today. Yeah, uh,
1: so. Uh, alright, so, uh, Kerbal Space Program, uh, a little Sanctum 2, uh, a little Reus, um... Anything you guys are looking forward to coming out soon? Nobody said Xbox One. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, you know the release date for Xbox One, Clyde. You didn't stick around for that, but they announced a release date and the release date is sometime this year. Alright.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Way to be specific. But <laughs> well, it's, it's
1: gotta be in time for
0: Call of Duty Ghosts. <laughs>
1: Right, exactly, yeah. You can't really well have that game come out and no system to play it on. Well, you know what? You can play it on the PS4, I guess. Or on a ps <laughs> uh, by, uh, by the way, is it just me, or did I get the impression that the Call of Duty Ghost, is that a post-apocalyptic game? Like, has the world been destroyed or something? Yeah, no, they, they definitely uh,
0: talked about or showed scenes of, uh yeah, it looks like there was some kind of it looks like an asteroid uh, impact or meteor or something. I don't know. It, it, there was like one scene where it showed a bunch of uh, asteroids like plummeting into the <laughs> into the atmosphere. And then, you know, oh. next thing you know, uh, all the buildings are like falling over and <laughs> people I bet, are that, fighting in the streets. <laughs> so did did terrorists do that? Is it terrorists with an asteroid control machine? Look, all I know is you have a dog. I
1: bet you there's exactly. aliens in it. There's got to be aliens in it. No, Clay. Now you've gone over the line, Clay. No. Yeah. Oh, Clay, way too far. Way too unreasonable. No. No aliens.
2: Things crashing in from space. There's going to be an alien boss the end.
1: You know what? That's actually happened. Skylab actually fell, Clay. You know, that we've experienced. <laughs> That's realistic. It's within the realm of a techno-thriller. You know what? I hope they do have an alien
0: boss at the end. That would be awesome. I'd be way more likely to play it if they did. And, and don't even tell anyone. Just just have it in there at the very end. Ah,
1: so sweet. All right, maybe they're listening. Maybe Infinity Ward Nick will give you your uh, alien boss. Now, uh, Nick, would you defeat the alien boss by shooting a weak, glowing orange point on it? Is that how that would work?
0: Yeah, there would definitely be a uh, a, a, a red... Glowy central eye, or a, uh, a spiny part on the back that you have to shoot. Uh, whatever it is, it's going to involve a lot of dodging.
1: Right? Oh yeah, yeah. Right. And you've got to dodge out of the way. Yeah. Okay. Good. Well, I'm ready for it if they do that. So. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Clay, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. I just want to remind folks, "Toddler Taxonomist" is available on uh, the iTunes Store. Check that out, and keep an eye out for Doctor Chick. Um, and uh, best of luck with that, Clay. Uh, hey, and thank so you, you for hanging out. If
2: anybody's you. interested in participating, they're more than willing to throw in their ideas, or if they want to see it running on their iPad whenever, just shoot me a note.
1: Uh, how would they reach you, Clay? On the, on the forums? Probably the forum. I'm Clay on the forum. All right. Awesome. Uh, and for everyone else, we will be back uh, next week with uh, more games of the week. I am Tom Chick. I've been joined by Nick Diamond and Clay Heaton, and we'll see everyone here next week. He
0: stand for honesty Giraffes are insincere And the elephants are kindly But they're dumb Orangutans are skeptical Of changes in their cages And a zookeeper is very fond of rum the secret reaction there is, and tell no solution there is. just not in secrecy, and hands turn on frequently. What the gas yeah. can't like, come and see? At the zoo, at the zoo, at the zoo, at the zoo, at the zoo,